You're listening to the Journey to Launch podcast. Everything you need to know about the economic relief package with Lynette Kalfani Cox. T-minus 10 seconds. Welcome to the Journey to Launch podcast with your host, Jamila Souffrant. As a money expert who walks her talk, she helps brave journeyers like you get out of debt, save, invest, and build real wealth. Join her on the journey to launch to financial freedom in in five, four, three, two, one. Hey, 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 journeyers. I am, as I always am, excited for you to be joining us today. So whether you're new or a returning journeyer, I think you're going to really love this story. Before we hop into the episode, Let me tell you about today's sponsor of the podcast, Empower. I know how much work it is to juggle career, family, and money management. Look, I get it. As a full-time entrepreneur with three small kids, a husband, and me trying to keep up my friendships, working out, and staying healthy, your girl is tired. Plus, let's not even add on the craziness of the financial markets right now. Hashtag tired and over it. Empower is an awesome app that gives you back your valuable time by making money management and saving the easiest thing you do all day while allowing you to take more control over your financial future. For starters, Empower has an automated savings feature. I simply tell the app my weekly savings target and every day Empower studies my income and spending and automatically knows when to move the right amount of money into my savings account where it grows with unlimited withdrawals and no minimums. It's called autosave. Just set it and forget it. The app even tells me about upcoming payments that are due. So it's nice to have the app remind me because quite honestly, sometimes with my schedule, I forget. Yes, even me, Jamila, your chief launch officer, needs a reminder when a bill is due. I'm guessing you can use that kind of help too. Now, Empower has a nice human touch because let's face it, sometimes you need to talk to real living, breathing people for guidance. So just text Empower's human coaches who are on standby to share personalized recommendations and steer you through whatever financial questions that come up. If you want to save more than ever before, you got to check out Empower's app. Download Empower in the App Store or Play Store. I did and over 650,000 other people have too. And for listeners of this show, that's Journeyers, get $5 when you use the code JOURNEY and reach your savings goal. Visit empower.me slash journey for more details. That's Empower, E-M-P-O-W-E-R dot M-E slash J-O-U-R-N-E-Y for more details. Okay, journeyers, let's get into what this episode is all about and why I'm so excited for you to hear this. Now, you may want to grab a pen, pencil, and a piece of paper. You may need to listen to this more than once. You're definitely going to want to share this with someone, with everyone you know, because I guarantee you there's information in this episode that is going to help you today. So on the podcast, I have Lynette Kalfani Cox, also known as the money coach. And Lynette is doing something, I think the good work of (laughs) what we need people to do is she read all 880 pages of the economic relief package so that we wouldn't have to. She read it and I asked her to come on the show so she can break down everything that we need to know from the high level big businesses, what they're getting and how that impacts us. Everybody here, you listening, how does this directly impact your money, your pockets? How can you get relief from the government? And how can you make sure that you come out of here positioned to thrive? You come out of this pandemic and this current financial economy and what's going on thriving. And so let me tell you about Lynette Kalfani-Cox. She is a personal finance expert 
television and radio personality and author of numerous books, one of them being a New York Times bestseller, Zero Debt, The Ultimate Guide to Financial Freedom. She's been on numerous TV shows such as The Oprah Winfrey Show, Dr. Phil, Tyra Banks, I can go on and on. She basically has receipts. She knows what she's talking about and you're going to hear it. And I'm so grateful to her for being so giving with this information and really letting us know what we should be looking out for, how we can thrive right now, how we can survive and thrive right now. If you want the episode show notes for this episode, go to journeytolaunch.com or click the description of wherever you're listening to this episode. In the show notes, you'll get the transcribed version of the conversation, the links that we mentioned, and so much more. Also, whether you are an OG journeyer or brand new to the podcast, I've created a free jumpstart guide to help you on your financial freedom journey. It includes the top episodes to listen to, stages to go through to reach financial freedom, resources, and so much more. You can go to journeytolaunch.com slash jumpstart to get your guide right now. Okay, let's hop into the episode. Okay, journeyers, I knew that I needed to do a special episode on this topic on the economic relief package that was signed into law because it's such a timely, important matter for everyone. And so I thought the perfect person to come on and teach us, show us about what really matters to us, how it impacts our daily lives is the money coach, Lynette Halfani Cox. So welcome to the podcast, Lynette. Thank you for having me. I'm glad to be here and to share with your audience. Yeah. So you want to know something? One of the things that came my brain to say I need to reach out to Lynette was I follow you on Twitter. I mean, I've been following your work for a while. You're like an OG in this space and I love your work, but I follow you on Twitter and I saw you had a tweet that you were reading through the stimulus package. And I was like, all right, there's who I need to talk to and come talk to journeyers about what's going on. And Jamila, girl, it was long. It was 880 pages, but yes, I managed to get through it and digest it all so, you know, I can better explain it to people and, you know, put it in everyday language so that folks can get it and understand how to benefit from it financially. Yeah. So I want to take it there because I think for a lot of people, including myself, you know, you see the headlines, you know, $2 trillion and you see the big numbers being thrown out and there's a lot of moving parts. And so I do want to touch upon like the big picture and like the big businesses and like the industries and what's happening there. But I definitely want to get into like how this impacts a single person, an everyday worker right now. So I know it's a $2 trillion package. With that, there is a bunch of things that have like happened or come out of it, including some industry bailouts, right? So some of the top industries affected by this. So what I gathered, because I didn't read all of the pages, but I did some research. A lot of that is going to be helping out the healthcare system airlines, and what else? So can you just go into like what big businesses are impacted by this stimulus package? So you you actually kind of nailed it there because one of the things that I want people to realize is that there really wasn't just one stimulus package. There were actually three. So yes, the $2.2 trillion CARES Act got the most amount of coverage and the most amount of attention. But even before that, Congress had passed in middle of March and in the early part of March, two other stimulus packages. So in the aggregate though, especially if we focus on the CARES Act, the vast majority of it was in fact deemed at helping health insurance, the health industry as a whole, because of course we gotta take care of the first responders, the doctors, the nurses, the healthcare workers who are frankly gonna save us from this coronavirus outbreak. But also on the business side of things, from 
the standpoint of the industries that have been totally shut down, we know that the stay-at-home orders that are now throughout the country did, in fact, affect transportation, travel, hospitality. All of those industries did, in fact, get billions and billions, tens of billions of dollars in this so-called stimulus package. I'm not really calling it a stimulus package, by the way, so much, because it's not like those companies that got billions of dollars in aids, it's not like they're going to be like, oh, this is for CEO bonuses, or this is for stock buybacks, or this is for you know a little extra money in our coffers. No, they're struggling to stay afloat too, even though a lot of them have you know billions of dollars in cash. But to go from X billions of dollars in gross income or in net income to zero is just like what happened to a lot of us at the individual level. A lot of folks were making 30,000, 50,000, 90,000, 150,000, whatever they were making per year. And then now all of a sudden with the stay at home orders, with the ordering of shutdowns, with the quarantining and whatnot going on, a lot of folks' income has gone to zero. So it's not stimulating the economy to the extent like, oh, okay, you get a car, you get a car, right. you go out and buy stuff. You know, It's not like we're all going to go out there shopping and you're going to see us at Macy's or something. It's more like for individuals, keep us afloat. Help me put food on the table. Help me cover my housing You know, to pay the rent or the mortgage, that kind of thing. So it's an economic relief package. I think that's the most accurate way to think about it. And again, because we've had three of these already, it's still not enough. And they're already talking right now about a so-called phase four, where they're going to do hundreds of billions of dollars more in aid, not just to businesses, but to small businesses and to individuals in ways that I think are going to be helpful to the economy. Yeah. And so one of the things that I hear um, people say like, okay, all this money, where did they get all this money? And I saw this meme the other day, and I think I had reposted it and it said, America is like that friend who never has money when you want to go out. And then, <laughs> but when it's time for them to want to do something, they do it. And I was like, that's so true. And then someone said, commented, well, you know what? I'm glad America can do that, right? Like, cause now when we need it, there is some help coming. So right. I want to kind of break down though, like on an economic level, where all this money is coming from. So ultimately we pay it. We, the taxpayer, it's not as if the economy or the government in and of itself or by itself kind of produces anything really. I mean, obviously government employs millions and millions of people. But when you think about GDP, gross domestic product, that that sort of output of America, it's us as individuals, us as employees, us as business owners, et cetera. And so when you think about America being a multi-trillion dollar economy, 33 trillion or so in terms of GDP, the value of all of the stuff that we make and buy and do, of course, we have to pay taxes on that, right? So businesses have to pay taxes. Now we can get into a conversation about whether or not they actually do on an effective tax rate, whether they actually pay taxes. And a lot of them, frankly, don't. But certainly as business owners, as individuals, et cetera, we all pay taxes. So we're actually the ones kind of producing and creating the output in terms of the economy, but then we pay taxes also. And so at the end of the day, the, the sort of simplest explanation is that we are on the hook, the taxpayer, we're, we're ultimately funding and footing the bill for all of this. And the tax code is written, is written in such a way that it definitely favors some over 
the others. <laughs> and so I'm always trying to get people to understand that if you want to get ahead in America under this capitalistic system that we all live in and, and, and take part in to a greater or lesser extent, if you just follow the code, meaning the IRS code, the tax code, you'll see who and what gets rewarded. And in a nutshell, it's businesses, it's individuals who will agree to act as a business in terms of investments, starting a business, starting a company, employing others, filtering money through the economy by hiring freelancers or contractors or 1099 workers, gig economy folks that you would hire. You're then acting as an investor because you're investing in yourself as a business owner. If you invest in property, you're going to get very special tax break. If you invest in the stock market, you'll get certain tax breaks. So by and large, who gets rewarded, generally speaking, and economically speaking? It's investors and owners. I mean, and that's the kind of simplest way that I can tell people about positioning themselves, even amid this coronavirus outbreak, to be better prepared for the next disaster that comes down the road. Because there's always going to be something. This one just happens to be, uh, you know, kind of a, a doozy. Yeah. And I love that you are really sharing the what it takes or what really it takes to be and succeed here in this country because ownership and um, business and especially for minorities, people of color, black people where, you know, previously like we were denied or um, just there was a lot of discrimination like, you know, in our in this country on us being owners. That's why I think it's so important to have that message, at least if you don't want to, right? Some people have no interest in owning right. anything and that's fine. But I think at least there's the, the education for those who want to, or at least to know the benefits of it. So right. that way, you know that like, here's what you're giving up or here's what's on the table if you do this, um, which yes. I think is totally beneficial. And Jamila, you, yeah. raise a great, you raise a great point about to know whether or not you want it or not. Some people don't. Some people are like, I don't want to own my own business. I don't want that headache or that hassle. I'm good to be- Or real estate, clean. right? Like or, I don't want to own anything. Or, or, or real estate. There's another great point. You know, I did a, a Facebook Live, my husband and I, and we were talking about what we call power money moves during the coronavirus crisis and during this pandemic. And we absolutely think that for those who are ready and for those who want it, one of the power money moves that you can make is buy some property. And so some people are like, really? Like, who's, how are you going to buy some property right now? You can't even go to an open house. You can't do certain things. But actually, no, you, you can. I bought this year alone two properties remotely. It wasn't sight unseen. I had a, uh, a real estate agent who did, you know, a virtual tour and walked us through the, through the um, property and showed us everything. Now, you have to understand, we are homeowners ourselves. We own five other rental properties. We own a, a total of, of uh, five rental properties. So I, I just was trying to explain to people, in essence, that, you know what? The fact that real estate sales are down and are, are down about 60% versus, you know, a year ago, spring is like peak home buying season. But you're not going to have big crowds out there, obviously, because 10 or more can't be, you know, in the same place. But that means less competition. And that means more financial opportunity for you to get a good deal. So certainly, if you're thinking about ownership, especially on, you know, the, the thing you mentioned, say owning real estate, I think it's actually a, a good time. Folks who are very much into the stock market and into investing in equities, you know, having ownership of a piece of a company that's publicly traded, a lot of them are like, woohoo, stocks on sale, you know? Right. So they see this as a great opportunity. And again, if, if that's your thing, I do think there's opportunity there as well. 
Yeah. And I definitely want to touch upon, right? There, I think there's different levels of people going through this right now. Sure. There are the people who kind of are were prepared, uh, financially prepared, whether it's they have some emergency savings, they're investing, their job is pretty secure and their income is secure where they are in the position to invest. And I want to talk about opportunities like real estate investing and investing now while the stock market is kind of on discount, like you said. And then there are people who were not as prepared you know, no fault, no blaming here at this point, right? It's not at like, all. We're not doing that. But like, how do they withstand this, right? For them, the the priority might is not to invest, right? It oh, is absolutely. to survive. And so sure. I want to recognize well, let's that. Address, yeah, yeah, let's address yeah. that. Let's address those folks first, because frankly, I think that's the vast majority of people, the vast majority of Americans across the board, black, white, Asian, Latino, this COVID-19 emergency hit everybody like a ton of bricks. And so- even people who had been pretty diligent about their savings, who weren't in credit card debt, for example, or hadn't already had you know severe financial challenges, even a lot of them, and we can see it obviously at the corporate level as well, they still weren't prepared for this level of you know financial trauma, let's call it. It's obviously a public health crisis first and foremost, and we you know we grieve for those who have gotten sick and who have to be hospitalized, of course, for those who have. Um, lost their lives or those who we know who have lost loved ones because the fact of the matter is this crisis is spreading by the day and until we can deal with the public health side of things till we get a cure till we really bog down with this social distancing and, and social isolation etc we got to solve that first before we can even talk about the economic you know uh, side of things but I just want to say that for those who are struggling, and who are really having a tough time, either because they've been laid off, maybe they've been furloughed, they have their job hours reduced, maybe their pay has been cut, maybe they can't even get to their place of work because of a quarantine or um, a stay-at-home order or the business has been shut down. There's hope and help for each one of them as well. So let's focus in on a couple of things that can be super beneficial for them financially. Yes, yes. So, so much talk and attention has been given to these so-called stimulus checks that the government is just now starting to send out in April of 2020 and will go starting in May and June of 2020 as well. In a nutshell, if you earn up to $75,000 a year as a single person or $150,000 a year as a couple who's married and filing a joint tax return, then you are going to get a rebate or economic impact payment check, they're calling it a so-called stimulus check for $1,200 for individuals or $2,400 for couples. Those who have a child age 16 or under will get an extra $500 per child. They prorated as well. You can make up to $99,000 a year for a single and still get something. If you make above that $75,000, it won't be the same exact amount. They'll just reduce your $1,200, but you'll get something. It just won't be the full 1200 Or if you're a couple and you make over $150,000 a year, you can collectively make as much as $198,000 and still get something. Again, it won't be that full $2,400. So that's something to, again, you know, put some food on the table, maybe help cover housing costs and that kind of thing. But one of the messages I cannot stress enough, especially for people of color, frankly, who have already been disproportionately impacted by COVID-19 and the coronavirus as a whole, not to mention economically, 
you know, we know that oftentimes when white America catches a cold, black America catches pneumonia. So one of the things I'm really trying to emphasize to folks is that do not, A, pin all your hopes on a $1,200 stimulus check, and B, do not fail to get all of the other benefits, financial sources of assistance, and help that you qualify for and that you're perfectly entitled to. And it's many, many thousands of dollars. In fact, for a lot of folks, it'll be many, many thousands of dollars per month. So let me walk you through a couple of Yeah, let's talk about that. (laughs) So beyond the stimulus check, anybody who has been laid off, furloughed, or had work hours or pay cuts, you should absolutely apply for unemployment compensation. And unemployment benefits can be a really great economic boost to tide people over during the COVID-19 emergency. So on average, the typical unemployment benefit is about $380 per week. Now that's your state benefit, and that's what people would normally get. And it's all over the place. In some states, like Mississippi, it's a low of the maximum benefit there is $235 a week. In states like Massachusetts, much higher. The average or the maximum uh, state benefit is $795 per week. But again, it's all over the place because unemployment compensation and unemployment benefits vary from state to state based on state rules, okay? But in addition to that state benefit you get, because of the $2 trillion CARES Act, they added a federal unemployment benefit. So now, regardless of where you live, everybody on unemployment now gets an extra $600 per week on top of your state benefit. And so that federal benefit runs now through from April 2020 through July 31st, 2020. So now you think about it. You might be getting, let's say, $380 a week from your state. You tack on another $600, roughly $1,000 a week. There you go, $4,000 a month. And so that's going to be crucial for a lot of people as we continue to endure you know, COVID-19. Let's talk about a couple of other benefits. Right. Certainly, there's sick pay that's available to folks. And again, now we have federally mandated sick pay because of the coronavirus outbreak. And the sick pay is covering 100% of your salary up to a cap of $511 per day for 10 days. So a maximum total, of course, of $5,110. So if you've been diagnosed with coronavirus, if you've been sick with COVID-19, the actual disease that it causes, if you've um, been told by a doctor to, to isolate or quarantine yourself, or if you're even taking care of somebody in your household who is sick, then you can qualify for this federally mandated sick pay. And again, that's very important, especially when we see in places like Chicago, um, in uh, New Orleans and parts of Louisiana, et cetera, where we're seeing disproportionately so many African-Americans being impacted by this virus. So that's important. Um, Then there's family medical leave benefits. So because the crisis has shut down so many institutions, that includes schools and daycare centers being closed as well. So people need to know that if your kid is home from school five or more days 
and because of the COVID-19 outbreak and you weren't able to work because you had to take care of your child or you had your hours cut or your pay cut and you just, you know, you're trying to juggle things at the family level. And frankly, who isn't at this point in time, you can also qualify for a family medical leave benefits. Essentially, it's an extension of the Family Medical Leave Act. And it's 12 weeks total, but 10 weeks of which are paid. An employer can legally and technically not pay you for the first two weeks. But then after that, you get 10 weeks of paid family medical leave benefits. And the numbers are also very helpful for those who are struggling, who need some extra cash flow. Because family medical leave benefits cover two-thirds of your salary up to a maximum of $200 per day for 10 weeks. And then it caps out then at $10,000. So again, Jamila, I know you have a five-year-old, a three-year-old, and a one-year-old, you know? Yep. So if their school, if they are in kindergarten, for example, or pre-K, if their school closed down, or if your daycare provider, if you had one, was not able to take care of them or something to that effect, folks like you would qualify. I have a 14-year-old. She definitely, she's been home for weeks and weeks. And so I want people to know that there's other things that are longer and more sustaining in terms of the financials, not just being a one-time payment, being something that they can get repeatedly for weeks or months if they qualify. Yeah, I love that. And is there a source or one site that people should go to? I know that, I mean, we have the highest um, filing of unemployment in the history and so many people are getting stuck and the, the web browsers are crashing. Yes. Is there um, somewhere, and I would also include these links in the episode show notes for everyone, but sure. do you know of where people can go directly to start seeing like where they can file online? Sure, I do. And I'll tell you two things. So first, the, the Department of Labor is you know the overall organization that handles um, unemployment. And then they have their own state offices or state branches. On my website on askthemoneycoach.com, I've actually created a list that has all 50 state websites, all of their phone numbers too, if you need to call, and a list that contains the maximum state benefit so people can know, well, what's the maximum benefit in my state? So on my site on askthemoneycoach.com, it is um, a comprehensive list no matter where your listeners or viewers um, might be. And I can give you a link to that as, as well. Um, separately on the leave side, if you are getting uh, paid leave, paid sick leave or um, family medical leave, then that's actually through your employer. So you would talk to your employer or your HR person about that. They would give you the specific website to go through because you're ultimately going to be filing a claim through your employer's insurance company. So they would provide you with the specifics um, and the information that you can do it online for that. Right, right. And I love that. So thank you. We'll get all those links for you um, in the show notes, everyone. One of the things that comes up for people is that people ask, is the stimulus check or the relief check, like, we'll have to pay that back like next year? Is it a credit or what is it exactly? So that's a great question. And yes, it is sort of a credit or an advance against your next year's taxes. However, they've already said, the government has already said, look, you know, if you would have still owed or whatever, you're not going to, we're not going to say, give us this money back. So you don't have to worry about it. A, even if your taxes, by the time you file next year, it seems like, oh, you wouldn't have had to pay this amount. And that advance that they gave you was a little bit more. They're not going to request that back. And B, it's not going to be taxable income to you either. So that's one less thing to worry about when it comes to dealing with Uncle Sam. Yeah. Um, 
I should tell your um, audience as well, this is something major, again, that I don't think people are talking about. All of your federal obligations right now, especially the things that were overdue, delinquent, or in default status, you get a huge break in the CARES Act and in all of the federal legislation in the, um, the three total so far stimulus bills that they've passed. So in a nutshell, President Trump declared the coronavirus as a national disaster on March 13th, 2020. And ever since then, uh, a series of things kicked in at the federal level, one of which is that the feds are giving folks who owe federal debts a huge break. So if you owe federal student loans, and we know, you know, 44 million Americans owe, you know, 1.5 trillion in student loans. And most of that 1.3 trillion is federal student loan debt, not private student loans. So if you owe federal student loan debt, you now get a break because you do not have to make any federal student loan payments for six months from April 2020 through May, June, July, August, and September 2020. No principal, no interest, no extra fees being tacked on there. And they're not going to be reporting you to the credit bureaus or anything like that. So that's really great news. And get this, Jamila. Anybody who went into default status and had things like their wages were garnished or they were having collections activity against them, extra fees tacked onto them, et cetera, because of defaulted student loan debt. And, you know, usually that's folks who have been severely delinquent, usually about nine months or more. They've missed payments for about 270 days. But from March 13th on, when Trump declared coronavirus as a national disaster. If you went into default on your student loans from that date on, the government is even refunding money to you right now. Wow. So they're in the process of refunding $1.8 billion in money to 830,000 student loan borrowers who are in default just since March 13th. <laughs> And so those folks are going to get almost $2,200 back on average. If you divide it all up, you know, that's the, the, the average. And that's going to be a big chunk of change for people to, to get. So again, it's important to kind of know um, and to see what's available. Ditto for people who owe the IRS. Yeah. If you were delinquent on your IRS payments, maybe you owed from, you know, 2018. Some people probably just filed for 2019. Others may not have because they've extended the tax filing deadline for 2019 for, by 90 days. So you don't have to file by April 15th, as was customarily the case. Now they gave you until July 15th. But if you owed Uncle Sam and, you know, you were delinquent, you had extra, you know, penalties and fees being tacked onto you, they're putting a pause and taking, putting all that on hiatus as well. They're stopping all collection and enforcement activity. So folks who are like, oh my gosh, the feds, the IRS are coming after me. Even those folks are getting a break right now. Yeah, that's a great. And you mentioned about like the filing deadlines and, you know, this is going to from the time of our conversation to this airs, it's going to be a couple of weeks. But right. I know for me, it mattered a lot um, that we got our 2019 taxes done as soon as possible because our income in 2019 was dramatically lower than what it was in 2018, like more than half because I became a full time entrepreneur um, in 2000. Well, 
as 2019 was that first year. So for some people, and I don't know if it's going to be too late because I don't know exactly when all the checks are going out or when they start looking at things. But I know for us, it was really important for us to get our 2019 taxes done so that they use that tax year and not the 2018 one. Absolutely. So you, you brought up a great point from a strategy perspective. Two things. One is if you had not filed your 2019 taxes and you know that your 2018 income was below the threshold to qualify you for the $1,200 economic impact payment, then I would say, wait, don't file your 2019 taxes right now. If you know that's going to put you over the threshold and it's not going to make you eligible for that payment. On the other hand, if somebody's in your situation and they had a 2019 income that was dramatically lower than their 2018 tax filing and their adjusted gross income from 2018, then I would say it's the opposite. Go ahead and file. There's one other thing to think about too. If you have kind of the same income and you know that, look, every year I get a check back, I get a tax refund back. The average tax refund is about $3,000. Some people get way more. You could get money from the earned income tax credit. You could have a whole bunch of deductions, whatever. You might be getting a lot of money back. But if you know that you typically get a big tax refund, that's another reason to file now because that process, that's totally separate than getting your so-called stimulus check. They're just processing normal tax return as usual right now. And yes, they will send you your tax refund check, you know, pretty much in like a couple of weeks if you just go ahead and file. Yeah, that's so good to know. And I wonder if you know, because one of the things that comes up and I've been thinking about is that, you know, for so many people who don't file, because whether that's because their income was so low, then they just didn't think it was necessary. And or so many of the people who support this country who don't have social security numbers, you know, maybe are not legal, but still contribute to this economy. I mean, I'm Caribbean, you know, my, my people are Jamaican. And so I know a lot of people in my community who they don't have necessarily their papers, but they contribute to this economy. And then they're not now going to be able to get any of this money or can they get something? Do you know of any way in which that what I call essential people in this country that do things that other people don't want to, is there any relief for them or how can we think about supporting these people? So that's a great point that you brought up and talk about essential workers. I'm so super happy for the delivery people, for the trash pickup people, for the food service workers. I mean, these people are helping us all to stay alive. You know, we think about, oh, the, the frontline people and no, of course, no disrespect to the nurses out there, to the firefighters and, and to the doctors, et cetera, the healthcare workers, but the folks who are hourly workers who are doing everyday jobs that formerly, frankly, a lot of folks wanted to look down on. It's like, yeah, those people are helping us all to eat every day, to, to stay you know, healthy and safe and alive. So we should all be practically kissing their feet. I know we can't talk to them or be near them right now, but you get what I'm saying. Yeah. We should be super appreciative for them. So let's talk about these two areas. One, the folks who haven't filed their taxes and two, folks who might be out of the traditional system either because they're immigrants or immigrants or they don't have a social security number or issues like that. So in general, if you haven't filed your taxes at all for, for several years, there's many groups of people in different categories that'll be impacted um, in terms of whether or not they get the $1,200 check. They'll be impacted differently. And the Treasury Department and the IRS had given mixed guidance on this. So like some people who are on Social Security, SSI, disability, retirees, et cetera, some of them, they're like, oh, I never filed a 1040. 
I never make a tax filing because my income isn't high enough or I have no need to. I'm not required under the law to do it. So at first they said, okay, well, you guys got to file too. And then they came back and said, oh, no, 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 you know, all of these older people, they didn't want them to be out there or trying to go to tax offices or having to deal with that. So then they told them, no, you don't have to file. So in general, anybody who is already getting any kind of a a government benefit, you might have one of those debit cards where they, uh, you know, electronically put the benefit into your bank account. And in general, if you have a check that you've received from the government and they know where you live, either because they have your mailing address or because they send you money every month, either say a social security check, a SSI, I'm sorry, SSI payment, a disability payment, that kind of thing. Yeah, those folks, you don't have to have, you filed a, a tax return right now if it hasn't been recent, certainly not the elderly and, and folks like that. Others may have to file or at the very least, you may have to supply your information to the government. And this is what they've said. They've said that in sometime in April, that the Treasury Department and the IRS are pretty much going to put up a website that's kind of like the IRS's portion of the website that says, where's my tax refund? But they're going to put up a site that you can say, where's my stimulus check, basically. And you can give them your banking data so that they know where to electronically deposit the check. This is important because the folks who the government knows your bank account information, either your checking or savings account, they're going to send those checks out to them first. Everybody else who's getting a check in the mail via, you know, what I call snail mail through the U.S. Postal Service, those checks start going out in May and later. It'll be May, June, and some even into July. How are they distinguishing it? They said that they're going to go on an income basis from the lowest income first. So if you're making, you know, just no income or up to, and I'm just making up this number just as an example, let's say to zero to, you know, $20,000, then you'll be in the first batch roughly to, to go out. Then the next batch, you know, 20 to 30,000 or 20 to 40, I'm just making up that number as an example because right. they haven't given us that level of specificity, but they have said when we start mailing out those paper checks, it's going to go in rolling, you know, batches and it's going to be a couple of months for them all to get mailed out. And we're going to start with the lowest income people first on up to the highest income people. Again, you know, for those reasons, it's probably helpful. So anybody who doesn't have a social security number, a bank account, there's no sort of government contact with you. Yes, those people, they're not going to get, unfortunately, even though they might be essential workers, like you and I agree in terms of helping to support the economy, paying for products and services, providing uh, valuable services, et cetera. Frankly, they don't have a means. They don't have the capacity. The government doesn't have the, the knowledge of sort of how to reach them. And so, no, they won't be getting those checks. And I should tell you also, there's another group of people. I've gotten a lot of questions about college students. Yes. So let me just very quickly address that. Basically, a lot of parents are like, look, I'm paying for these kids. You know, my child might be 18, 19, 20 years old, but am I going to get an extra? Do I get 500? for the, They're my child. Do I get money for them? Or the kids, they're thinking, I'm grown now. <laughs> you know, I'm 19. <laughs> um, do I get a check? Do I get my own individual $1,200 um, stimulus payment? And Again, unfortunately, the answer in both cases is most often no. 
The reason is we might not like it. We might not agree, but I'm just telling you what is. But the reason is, generally speaking, for federal um, tax matters, the government considers children under the age of 24 to be dependents of their parents. And they assume that parents supply 50% or more of the child's economic support. Now, of course, we know that that's not always the case, but for this purpose, they're going to look specifically at whether or not the child was claimed on the parent's income taxes. So if you have an 18, 19, 20, 21-year-old, for example, and you claim them on your taxes, and most people are claiming their college-age kids, then no, you're not going to qualify. The student's not going to qualify for an extra payment, and you won't get like a $500 payment for them or anything like that. The exception to that rule is, of course, if you have a a student or a child that's independent, like my two older kids, I have a 22-year-old, a 20-year-old, and a 14-year-old. My oldest daughter is 22 years old. She is independent. She filed her own tax return in 2019 and in 2018, and she um, will get her own stimulus check, okay? In addition, my son is 20 years old and he is a college, a current college student. My, my 22 year old, she's already graduated from college, but my son, he is 20, but I do not claim him. He has financial independence. Yes, we still provide, you know, a level of support to him, but he's worked and done some things on his own and he is independent, but he has not yet For the 2019 year, no, he didn't file a tax return and he's not getting anything either. And so you wouldn't get anything for him either. I'm not getting anything for him. Yeah. He hasn't filed a 2019 tax return either, so he won't be. But we may. We may still actually, I may say, look, we may get him to file a a tax return. And in which case he would actually get a $1,200 payment as an independent person. Right. So these are all kind of decisions. It's going to be individual to the family on if it's worth it. So maybe have your older child file for themselves or if it still makes sense for you to claim them. All decisions to like look through and maybe talk to your tax advisor about. And, you know, the thing about like this whole uh, situation and we kind of touched upon it briefly is just like the fact that everything's so intertwined. Right. Like so all these like problems with our economy and society right now. So whether it's like the underbank, the people who you know don't have access or are not as privy financially to bank accounts and, you know, are able to open them mm-hmm. and just like health, right? Like the matter of healthcare, right? It's such like a big thing here in this world, in this, especially United States on who gets healthcare, the cost of it. And all this leads into financial issues and it's all related because most of the underlying or um, problems and conditions that people have that lead to like the serious cases from COVID-19 are going to be from people who don't have the best health care, right? And so it just continually piles on to like kind of like the lowest of our society who needs the help that gets impacted the worst. Like you said, I love this phrase of, you know, kind of like when, I know you said it before, like white and black, but just like, I think when the more privileged sneeze, then like the less privileged <laughs> get pneumonia or when they catch a cold, the other side gets pneumonia. It affects people so much more that are on or at the bottom. That's right. And you know, a guy posted something on Facebook and he was an African-American and, you know, we kind of were friends on, on Facebook and he said, y'all, you know, he pretty much said, y'all, let me tell my black, you know, brothers and sisters, no, this is, you know, COVID-19, it's not some government conspiracy and, you know, to, to make us all sick and blah, blah, blah. And he said, look, the reason why 
we have been disproportionately affected is, you know, plain and simple. Look at how we eat, eating really bad, you know, bad foods and, um, you know, not eating the most nutritious way. And we have the underlying conditions way more. We have, you know, diabetes and, you know, high blood pressure, et cetera. And he said, that's pretty much it. So I wrote him back and I said, um, I agree with you that, yeah, there's not some big, crazy government conspiracy to, to, you know, to kill us or anything like that. Um, I said, however, uh, I said, and I do agree that we need to eat better and watch our nutrition and our habits there. And that, yes, statistically, we have higher rates of, say, high blood pressure and diabetes and, you know, uh, obesity and things like that. And I said, however, (laughs) there's many other factors that are at play here as well, including economic factors, structural inequality and racism. And I pointed out to him that, you know what? A lot of black folks and people of color live in so-called um, health deserts or healthcare deserts where there's no good hospitals in the regions or there's less you know, access to quality health care. It's also the fact, and there have been you know, tons of studies on this, that the medical profession is often biased against black people and people of color. For African-Americans in particular, doctors and nurses are more apt to think that Black people are stronger, have thicker skins, can tolerate pain more often, et cetera. And that translates into how they treat us. So they are more likely to discount certain complaints that we have. They might reject outright, you know, our own, not diagnoses, but our explanations or our verbal accounts of what's happening with us. All of that leads to, you know, not being misdiagnosed not being um, diagnosed as quickly for things that are, you know, chronic or or persistent problems. And then, of course, as you mentioned, there's the whole thing that healthcare is ridiculously expensive, right? And so there's the economic considerations at play too. When you think about if folks can even afford healthcare insurance or can afford co-payments and things of that nature. So yes, we're disproportionately impacted, but it's not just because, you know, we're all, you know, making bad choices like ourselves. It's like a combination of. Absolutely. So I wanted to raise awareness about that as well, that there's a lot of structural inequality that we're going to have to address. And, you know, the COVID-19 crisis here has really shown us, it's really laid bare the privileges that the haves have and the disadvantages that the have nots have to endure every single day. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, so we talked about the stimulus check and we talked about um, the pause on federal student loans and there's other ways people can get some money in flowing, right? Can I mention one other thing, especially since we wanted to talk a little bit, I want to make sure that I address folks who are low income, who have low or even moderate income or those who have might have been okay and had a a reasonable um, year, either 2018 or 2019, but all of a sudden last year had very low income for whatever reason, or this year might be struggling and be, you know, low income. One of the other benefits provided for in the three different um, economic relief packages passed by Congress is free food and nutrition support. And so in a nutshell, they've allocated about a billion dollars for a whole host of folks in terms of individual groups, for kids who are on free and reduced meal plans at their schools, for older adults who are senior citizens who are getting and can now get free meals through Meals on Wheels and other programs, 
for older people who live in community centers or, 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 or adult daycare centers, that kind of thing, for Native Americans, for families who have babies, women on WIC, stuff like that. So there's a lot more free resources that are available. And since the average family of four spends about $1,000 a month on food, uh, an average of about $250 per person, I'm really encouraging anybody who was on SNAP benefits before, SNAP is the food stamps program, or anybody who was on TANF, which is temporary assistance to needy families, or anybody who now thinks that from an income standpoint or from a need standpoint, they might qualify for that. I'm going to encourage them to go through the Department of Health and Human Services and then get linked to local organizations in your area to see if you qualify and you can get some free food and nutrition support. Yeah, such a good point. I know that first when this all started happening, they were still doing free um, food for pickup for like um, New York City school children. And, and I'm on that, like all the Twitter and Facebook announcements. And then they made it. It's free for all now. So basically yes. anyone can go get food. So I love that. So check your like local resources too. And because mm-hmm. a lot of places are giving um, free food. Now, the other thing. So we talked about a lot of stuff about how it individually like impacts us, like the CARES Act. One of the last things I want to talk about now before we're talking about investing and like how we can look at not some of this stuff as opportunities, those of us who can do that is one change that was made. And it's like, I almost don't want to talk about it because I don't want to encourage people that they should do this, but I want to at least have it as an option because people should at least know it's there is that they made changes to early withdrawals and borrowing against your 401k. Right. And I'd love to get your opinion on this. I have my own opinion. I, you know, and so basically from what I know, and you can correct me. Lynette, is that they're allowing you now to take up to, if you've been affected by the um, COVID-19, you can borrow up to, I think, 100000 and or just take early distribution of 100000 without that penalty that they usually would charge you. And so I think that it's a great last resource, right? Because I always am with the mind and caution of, you know, you still need to make sure you're okay in the future. And so if you take everything out now, then what happens in a few years when you need it? But I do agree that as a last, last resort, it's good for people to at least know that. But there's so many other steps you probably should take before you you do that. So I'd love to hear your opinion on it. Sure. And, and, and again, Jamila, another great question. I literally just interviewed uh, a retirement planning expert about that this morning. Uh, this is a guy who owns a, a, a retirement planning, a full service retirement planning company and has done this for 20 years. He gave me some great insights and I took my knowledge and what I, I was asking him, here's my take on it and you tell me yours. And so we had a good conversation. In general, prior to the coronavirus outbreak, I would have always, of course, agreed with the sentiment that tapping money in your 401k or your IRA should be a last resort. Because the fact of the matter is we're saving this money with a purpose in mind. We're putting aside cash for our future selves to make sure that once we get into our golden years, once we no longer have earned income, that we have some cushion, something to live off of when we're retired. And so that is actually, generally speaking, still my advice and my guidance. However, I recognize that this is a catastrophic situation for a lot of people. And yes, they've changed the rules to make them much more flexible And I think in a way that it will be helpful to people who do have to tap into it. My first advice would be tap into all the federal benefits to which you are entitled and for which you qualify and use that cash money first. Then see if you can drum up some 
work from home or remote income, do what you can to generate income. And if all of that is not enough for you and you need to look at your retirement savings as a last resort, you need it, then yes, but do it the right way. So there's two different things going on here when with regard to the changes that were made in the CARES Act and the rules around tapping into your 401k or your um, the equivalent type of retirement plans, 403b, 457, and even for folks who have IRAs. So one element deals with taking a loan. And yes, they've increased the amount that you can take for a loan. It was $50,000 in the past, and now it's $100,000 that you can take as a loan. Getting a loan never really had any tax implications at all, and it still won't. So in the past, if you took money out, you had to repay it. If you were an employee, your employer took it out via payroll, or you took it out of your paycheck or out of the account that you had, and then you kind of paid it back in regular intervals, right? And you paid it back via payroll deductions, okay? So you weren't taxed on that or anything like that. And there was no 10% penalty either for just borrowing. Now on the borrowing side, after this new legislation, you can borrow as much as $100,000, not just $50,000. And again, now they're giving you the option to pay it back over two years, whatever you take out. So I like that concept because A, when you pay it back, it's not going to be taxable income to you when you pay it back. And then B, you're not going to get a a, a 10% penalty. And then C, in the year that you start to pay it back, let's say you borrow $10,000 now in the year 2020, and you say, okay, I'm going to pay back my $10,000 in 2021 and in 2022. Well, if you pay back $5,000 in each of those two years, you're paying back about 400 and something dollars per month. Well, that's not going to stop you from also making your 2021 or your 2022 regular contributions to your 401k plan. So I like the fact that they're not hitting you with a penalty. They're not taxing you on the money and they're giving you a break in terms of spreading it out over. And I believe it's two years. And if it's not two, it's three. So don't quote me hundred percent, but I know for sure it's either two or three years. It escapes me the second, but they're, they're letting you space it out. Now, it's different if you take a straight distribution. The rules there are different. So that's the one where if you take a distribution now, they're letting you go up to $100,000 in terms of a distribution, up from $50,000. And yes, there's no 10% penalty for those who are under the age of 59 and a half. And that's normally when you would have been hit with a penalty. You do have to pay ordinary income taxes on the amount that you take out, just like you normally would have if you are not age 59 and a half. You don't pay them, you don't pay the taxes right now, this year in 2020, if you take the money out this year. You you pay it next year when you actually file your tax returns in the year 2021 for the 2020 tax year. Overall, my advice would be if you need to tap into your 401k or your retirement funds do the loan. I think that's a much better strategy because then you don't miss out on the opportunity cost side of like actually keeping the money in there and keeping it invested and saving for your future because you're going to need that money down the road. Also, if somebody has both, if somebody has an IRA 
you know, their own personal individual retirement account, something separate and apart from their employer provided retirement plan. I would say do the 401k, don't take it out of the IRA. Funds, as this gentleman told me today, he said almost everybody he knows who's ever taken a distribution out of their um, IRA, for one reason or another, they have the best of intentions. They think they're going to pay it back, but then they end, or they think they're going to put the money back in there and they end up not doing so because that's just on you to do it. With your employer, you you have to through payroll deduction. So you're kind of forced into repaying that. So right. do, do the, the 401k over the IRA. I like that. You just, that little distinction for people yes. just in case they, if they need to do that, um, they can think in that manner. All right. I do want to touch upon one little thing before we go to like the investing side is that okay. for small businesses, we talked about the policy changing a bit, so we don't have to like jump too much into it. I do want to touch upon it because I know I have a lot of entrepreneurs, small business owners who listen. And can we just briefly touch upon the help that's available for them right now and us right now? Okay. So the amount of funding and assistance that's available via the CARES Act for small business owners, entrepreneurs, contractors, gig economy workers, and others is enormous. And in fact, this is part of what's being talked about now as a a big element in phase four, yet another source of aid that they want to give to those who own their own business or who do side projects and contract work. So the CARES Act provides roughly $350 billion in aid for small business owners. But this is what I want your audience to really think about. (laughs) We have an image in our head about who's the the typical small business owner. We think of like somebody who has, you know, five employees or seven or 28 employees or owns a storefront, maybe a florist shop or whatever. But that's not what this is doing by itself. It's expanding the pool of who qualifies for an SBA loan or grant. And it's expanding it exponentially because literally almost anybody can qualify. So in the past, the Small Business Administration wouldn't have given a loan to, of this kind to churches or to clergy members, but now they can qualify. <laughs> in the past, if you were a part-time worker, a contractor, uh, anybody in the gig economy, anybody getting a 1099, you wouldn't have qualified for this kind of a loan, but now they are letting you get relief. And there's two SBA loan programs in particular that anybody who does any kind of independent freelance contract 1099 work, anybody who's self-employed, has a side hustle of any kind, needs to know about. The first is the so-called PPP loan program. It stands for the Paycheck Protection Program. This is a program that has forgivable loans. And that's why there's been such a huge rush for people to get these. I personally applied for this as well. We'll see what happens. (laughs) Because the program has been beset uh, a little bit by delays and technical difficulties and a little red tape and, and everything else. In a nutshell, the program is designed to help small business owners, entrepreneurs, contractors, et cetera, as I've explained, for the next two months. So they are providing loans of up to $10 million, and it's at a super low interest rate of 1%. And in a nutshell, even though the vast majority of people aren't going to get anywhere near $10 million and I didn't apply for, I didn't apply for $100,000, but they base it on your payroll. So they base it on 2.5 times your monthly payroll. 
So they're going to look at what you earned in 2019 and what your payroll was for you as an, if it's just you, if you can literally be a sole proprietor and they would just take your income. So if you earn, say, $60,000 in the year 2019 and your payroll for yourself, paying yourself was $5,000 a month, then 2.5 times that amount is $12,500. You would qualify for a forgivable loan of $12,500. Now, what do you have to do to make the loan forgivable? Yeah, that's my main question. There you go. (laughs) How do I make this forgivable? And when I tell you this, you're going to be like, what? And you're going to see why so many people are doing the bum rush to get this, this money. You have to meet mostly two rules. You have to use the loan that you get for payroll. Again, the payroll can be you yourself if it's just you, you know, if it's you and a a spouse or you and a second person who's on the payroll, you and that person. Or if you pay others as employees, you have to pay them. You have to maintain payroll. So you have to put 75% of it or more towards payroll. So again, it's not too hard to do to pay yourself, is it? You know, if if you're your only person and you're, you're a gig economy worker or whatever, you're not paying others. If it's only based on a party of one, you, then pay yourself. Okay, not hard to do. I'll put the money into my bank account and document everything. The second thing is that you have to use the remaining proceeds for permissible purposes, the things that they've said you're perfectly allowed to use it for. And so 25% has to be spent on these other three or four things. Mortgage interest. Now, if you have, if you're a home-based business like I have, I'm like, yeah, I got a mortgage and yeah, I got mortgage interest. So you spend it on that. If you're a renter or if you've leased something, either leasing for your space, let's say you're a florist or you, you had a flower shop or something and you had a lease on that, you didn't have a mortgage that you're paying, but maybe you paid rent to somebody. That's part of your business expense, obviously. You pay your lease, that qualifies. And then utilities. So if you had utilities, your, your internet service, your lights, your electric, gas, you know, those kind of things, your utility bills, that counts and that's a permissible use of the funds. So I'm kind of like, that's easy for me to do. Yes, I could pay myself and my husband, who we're both employees in our business and we generate income and we pay it ourselves. And yes, we have a mortgage. I can pay my interest on that. I don't have anything that I rent, but yes, I have utilities. I can put the other money towards that. Yeah. I, give me my money. You know? yeah. So that's the PP, say that loan again, that program. That one is called the Paycheck Protection Program. Okay. And it is a huge program. They're talking about adding more money, billions of dollars more in money to that next phase of economic stimulus and economic relief. So that's one. Whatever amount is not forgiven, by the way, the loan term is two years to pay it off and the interest rate is 1%. You apply for a PPP loan via private lenders, a bank, a credit union, a, a fintech company, a financial institution, anybody who's on the SBA's list of lenders. I would suggest you go through preferred lenders and go through your own bank first because they're mostly taking their own clients first. So that's the PPP loan program. Okay. The second one is a program called IDLE or an Economic Injury Disaster Loan. This one has a grant component to it. And again, the same people can qualify, just like I mentioned before, not just a, a storefront owner or a small business owner who has you know, 5, 10, 30 employees. And by the way, the government's definition of a small business owner is somebody with 
under 500 employees. So a lot of people can qualify. Yeah. So again, think of yourself. If you're a, a barber, you know, you cut people's hair, a hairstylist, a makeup artist. On my website on askthemoneycoach.com, I created a list of over 150 workers and part-timers, contractors, professionals, um, et cetera, who can qualify. So sometimes people are like, do I qualify or am I on, the, on this? So they should also check out that list on askthemoneycoach.com for who can qualify for that PPP loan and also who can qualify for these um, idle or economic injury disaster loans. We'll remember to put that in your show notes. Yeah, so, well, definitely. I mean, this is so helpful. So much good information so, for people. So the idle is a loan of up to $2 million. It is not forgivable. And again, most people won't get anywhere near that amount. Most people don't need that amount. But the term can last as long as 30 years. And it has a 3.75% interest rate. So here's what's good about that. Basically, you have to show that you were economically injured or damaged by the coronavirus crisis. For these two loan programs, you could have even started your business this year and still qualify. You could have done your side hustle, your contract work, your gig economy project, and still qualify. For the PPP loan program, you just have to have been in business by February 15th of 2020 in order to qualify. For the economic injury disaster loan, you have to have been in business since January 31st, 2020 in order to qualify. So with the disaster loan, after you successfully complete the application, they have a special component to it, a grant of up to $10,000. And so once you complete the application, you can automatically apply for the $10,000 grant. And get this, Jamila, if you're later denied or rejected for the economic injury disaster loan, you still get to keep the grant. It's yours free and clear. Oh, wow. Where would you apply for that? So you apply for the economic injury disaster loan directly through the SBA, the Small Business Administration at sba.gov. Okay, got it, got it. Oh my gosh. I know, hopefully you guys have pens out. You might have to listen to this again, write all this great information down. And so I do want to kind of like end it on some just opportunities here for people. So for those people who are in the space where they can invest or do something because you've lived through um, a couple downturns, right? You know, not guessing your age or anything, but I feel like those who've seen this before. So a lot of people, like they've been here, they've seen it before, they know that things rebound. And some people who are a little younger, maybe like this is the first time that they're going through something like this. And so what are just some tips? You already talked about like the opportunities in real estate and buying stocks and we can kind of dive deeper there, but I kind of just want to leave on a more kind of optimistic note on what can come from this, because this is not going to last forever. I do really believe that we will bounce back better than ever. And so I want to give people that encouragement. Sure. So one of the things I want people to know is that if they're investing and they have a long-term outlook, you know, you're not anywhere near retirement. You know, you're going to be working for the next 10, 15, 20 years plus. You should keep investing in the stock market if that's what you are already doing. Even those who might consider doing it for the first time, I do think you're going to find stocks on sale. You're going to find bargains. I would be looking at index mutual funds as a way to get into the market. And yes, there's opportunity galore wherever you look. In general, I want people to get positioned because God willing, most of us are going to come out of this and we're going to have, you know, brothers and sisters that we lost. The fact of the matter is some of us are going to get sick. Some of us badly sick, but hopefully most of us, the vast majority of us, we will make it to the other side. And 
you need to position yourself right now for all of the opportunity that abounds and to make sure that you're ready in a post-COVID-19 world so that you come out of it economically stronger, better credit rating, more financial um, resources on your side, or knowing what to do. And it's totally available for you right now, whether it's entrepreneurship, whether this crisis has shown you like, wow, I really could have a legitimate, viable work from home arrangement, whether you're seeing opportunities in terms of new business ventures or the fact that your skill set might be in demand more than ever now. I want to give people a positive message of hope as well, because this is a cycle. This is a downturn. But we've been through many of these before. Again, nothing quite like COVID-19 and the coronavirus crisis. But each new set, each new problem brings its own challenges. But we do know that markets come back. The human spirit, we're resilient as a people. We rebound. And so I want people to know that you definitely can bounce back. I love that. Love that. Now, Lynette, I know I have to have you back on just to share your own personal story because there's so much you've done financially, even with real estate and your business that I want to share with more people. So we'll like talk about that at another time, but please tell people where they can find you and get in touch. Sure. So my free financial advice site is askthemoneycoach.com. I also own and operate with my husband, Earl, a video-based platform called Money Coach University, where we have a ton of video courses, essentially, on topics ranging from budgeting and credit and debt and negotiating for women, a lot of different courses. And on my site, if you go to askthemoneycoach.com slash events, I talk about other events that I do, um, webinars, and um, you'll see media stuff and, and everything else. And of course, I'm on pretty much all the social media platforms, Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, YouTube, Instagram, uh, et cetera. So they can reach out to those means as well. And I'm going to link all that in the show notes so you guys okay. can um, reach out and just um, thank Lynette for all this amazing information. Thank you so much for how many pages was that economic relief package? 880 pages. Okay. So everyone thank Lynette for reading those 880 pages so she can come and distill it in the way that she just did where it makes sense. And it's like done in a way that really like we get. And so thank you so much again, Lynette, for, for all this. welcome. My pleasure to be on the program with you. Okay, journeyers, I really hope you not only enjoyed that episode and that conversation, but that you got a lot from it. Like literally, when I said you should have a pen and paper in front of you to take some notes, or you may need to listen to it again, I was not lying. I may need to listen to this again, because I thought that it's such great tips that Lynette um, was able to share with us and really distill all this information that sometimes we get, right? There's so much headlines and incoming information that you kind of can get confused or you don't know where to turn. I thought that she did a really good job on distilling that for us. And so hopefully you can share this with someone that you know that will benefit from this information. I know there were some links mentioned. I'm going to definitely be putting all that into the episode show notes, which you can find at journeytolaunch.com slash episode 151. And if you are having any more questions or any feedback, don't forget to tag me at Journey to Launch on social media. I'm there on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Share with me. Tell me what you thought, what you learned. I really love what she said about this will be over one day. And it's best that if we can just at least position ourselves to be in a better place and to be able to thrive, right? Surviving is important. That's what we're all trying to do right now. But thriving, thriving is the next step. And I believe we can all do that. 
Don't forget, you can get the episode show notes for this episode by going to journeytolaunch.com or click the description of wherever you're listening to this. And you can still grab your jumpstart guide for free to help you on your journey to financial freedom by going to journeytolaunch.com slash jumpstart. If you want to support me and the podcast and love the free content and information that you get here, here are four ways that you can support me in the show. One, make sure you're subscribed to the podcast wherever you listen, whether that's Apple Podcasts, that purple app on your phone, your Android device, YouTube, Spotify, wherever it is that you happen to listen, just subscribe so you are not missing an episode. And if you're happening to listen to this in Apple Podcasts, rate, review, and subscribe there. I appreciate and read every single review. Number two, follow me on my social media accounts. I'm at Journey to Launch on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And I love, love, love interacting with journeyers there. Three, support and check out the sponsors of this show if you hear something that interests you. Sponsors are the main ways we keep the podcast lights on here, so show them some love for supporting your girl. Four, and last but not least, share this episode, this podcast with a friend or family member or coworker so that we can spread the message of Journey to Launch. All right, that's it. Until next week, keep on journeying, journeyers. <laughs> <laughs>